Good? All right. Well, I'm ready to get into, into the Word of the Lord today. You guys ready to follow? Ready to jump in? All right. Well, listen, go ahead. Let me invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. As Pastor Lindsay pointed out, uh, starting 14 days of prayer today, uh, all the way through the 26th, everyone should have received a card at your chair. Uh, g- grab that card real quick so I can make sure you guys are paying attention. Let me see it. Wave it. All the way, all the way around. All the way around. We made it. There's plenty for everybody. I want everybody to get one. All right. There's some things on the back of that. Uh, that I want to uh, lead you in, encourage you in this over these next 14 days, these next two weeks. And, uh, and that is this. One, first and foremost, I want to encourage you in just in prayer. And to set aside, everybody's different. Everybody has diff- kind of a different level of spiritual maturity. I get that. But what I'm asking and what I want to push on us as a church is if you'll set aside every day over these next 14 days just 14 minutes to get along with God. 14 minutes. You might take a long, hot 14-minute shower, and that might be your time. So some of you are like, oh, yeah, that'd be all right with me. Uh, whatever, 14 minutes for you and God alone, just 14 minutes, all right? The next thing is this, as Pastor Lindsay pointed out, I wrote a 14-day devotional. I wrote it in a way that it does not take you 14 hours to read, all right? It, it literally will take you about five minutes, but then after that, there's some things to think about as you go through your day, okay, or go through your night if you work at night. And so you can log on to our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org, go to the prayer uh, icon, click it, it'll lead you right to the blog where these are, all right, where these uh, devotionals are. You can Get on there every day and follow that along, okay? The, second, the third thing is this, is attend corporate prayer on Saturday the 26th, all right? That's two weeks from yesterday, Saturday the 26th at 10 a.m. I really want to see as many people as possible in our church come to prayer on that day. Amen? I know um, you might have things already planned that you can't get out of. But if not, here's the deal. It really is true. A church that prays together really does stay together. And a church that does stay together really does grow together. And with that, we just need God. We need his help. We need his presence. We need, we need him to move in our community. We need him to move in our city, in our country, in our world right now uh, more than ever. And so it's, it's one thing when we pray by ourselves, but it's a whole nother level when we come together corporately to pray. So I'm putting it out there for Saturday the 26th, all right, 10 a.m. And then this Thursday, this Thursday, we're hosting citywide Holy Ground Prayer Service for one hour, 12 to 1, right here in our gym. Churches from around our community, people from around the community, us uh, coming together to pray, and we pray on a, ver- a variety of topics, but it's from 12 to 1, and so all these things, there's four things involved in the 14 days of prayer, um, and so anyway, I put that out there, I want you to pay attention to it, and you don't really have to pray about praying, all right, you just do it, right, I know most people, most of the time we're real spiritual, and somebody says, hey, will you do this for the Lord, and we're like, well, I need to pray about that, well, it takes, it's a no-brainer when you're called on to just pray, you don't have to pray about praying, right, yeah, all right, well, a few of you are with me today, so I'll go with you. I'll hang with you today, all right? So, uh, so anyway, that's it, all right? Take that, and let's commit ourselves to 14 days of prayer together as a church. There's, a whole, there's several things I could really hit on that. Uh, as Pastor Prentice pointed out earlier about Rosh Hashanah in the Hebraic calendar, and the Hebraic calendar meaning right now to starting at sunset today is, is the beginning of a new year. And there's a lot of spiritual connotations to that. Uh, when we planned this, we planned prayer back at the beginning of the year. I really didn't, don't pay a whole lot of attention to the Hebraic calendar unless it's brought up to my attention. And I happened to read some things this week about it. And I thought, wow, if you're really spirit-led, here's the deal, then you're going to be where God wants you to be, and you're going to be doing what God wants you to be doing, and you're going to be focused on what God wants you to focus on. 
and you don't have to think about it too hard if you're truly led by God's Spirit. Amen? Yeah. If a 14-year-old can clap on that, you 14? See? If you're led by the Spirit, you know what I'm saying? They come on, the rest of us can amen that. If you're led by the Spirit, we'll be where we're going to be. We don't have to be prodded and poked and pushed and all that, all the Facebook jargon, right? We just simply go about our business with our God, amen? Okay, you guys taking Benadryl today, or are you okay? You guys good? All right. All right, well, that's prayer. Let's, uh, let's check out this video to set up today's message.
Amen, amen. That's, uh, if you didn't see that uh, at the bottom, that's from the movie War Room that's out now, and I strongly encourage you to go see that if you have not yet. I just saw uh, over the weekend that it is now the number one movie in America. Anybody who's ever doubted prayer, go see that movie, and your life and your vision of God and, your, and, and prayer it will change. In fact, that'd be a good way to start these 14 days of prayer uh, is go and, and go see that. And, and that movie would definitely, if I can't inspire you to pray, that movie sure as heck will. So um, at least I feel like it will. All right, you guys should be at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let me read you our series scripture that uh, out of Romans 8. We are finishing up a message series called Straight Out of Bethlehem. Subtitle, An Overcoming Spirit. And I like that song, talking about it being a warrior. And I love the story of 1 Samuel 17. We'll get to. Paul reads these, uh, writes these words in Romans 8. He says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. And his answer to the question is no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and acknowledge your presence right now. And as we take a few minutes to open your word, your words of life and freedom and transformation and liberty, we ask that you would truly open our eyes to see as we read your word, open our hearts to just welcome what it is you are wanting to plant inside of us. Open our minds to understand it. And Father, right now I ask that you would help me deliver it. That you would guide my thoughts. That you would guard my heart. And you would govern my words. And may your anointing truly be on this today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Oswald Chambers was noted for writing this in his book, My Utmost for His Highest. He said, No power in hell or in earth can conquer the Spirit of God in a human spirit. It is an inner unconquerableness. I've stated that statement for the last three weeks because I'm hoping by now that that message, that statement will is planted in your heart and it's in your mind and it begins to transform the way you think and the way you view certain stuff, especially with, with life and faith, that you understand when God's Spirit is inside of a human being by the power of His presence that it is truly an inner unconquerableness that happens on the inside of us. And that's why I like this story in 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. We're going to be hitting the last uh, verses of this story today. We're going to wrap it up and we're going to finish this thing out. But I love this story. It's about the underdog coming against the champion, the giant. It's about the shepherd boy, David, previously anointed to be the next king of Israel, yet not there yet, but on his way, going against Goliath from Gath, a nine-foot giant. I love this story. There's a whole lot of stuff about this kind of story that excites me and inspires me and, and builds hope inside of me and uh, helps me to understand uh, God a little bit more. And so, the thing about it is life is full of opposition, wouldn't you agree? Life is full of opposition. The world, we're told the world opposes us. The world is against us. But Scripture tells us, hey, don't conform to this pattern of the world strategy and the way it thinks, but be changed. 
be changed. God changes us. The devil, no doubt, is an opposer. He opposes us. But we're told, hey, you need to resist him. You need to watch out for him, and you need to stand firm against him. And, man, the, our flesh and uh, our own flesh and other people's flesh oppose us, right? We come in opposition with our flesh, but we're told in 1 Peter 5 to actually we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and God will lift us up. When we are opposed, Paul writes in Romans 8, I just read it, he says all these things that are coming against us that, that oppose us, he says in Christ Jesus, overwhelming victory is ours. Overwhelming victory, not a close second, not a distant third, but an overwhelming victory is ours in Christ Jesus. That's why I like this story. The first part of this story of David and Goliath, the first 19 verses deal with fear, facing our fears. Facing our fears because fear cripples us. Fear hinders us. I recently saw a picture the other day that said, this, this said the phrase, uh, the phrase, do not be afraid, appears in the Bible 365 day, uh, 65 times. Meaning there's an opportunity every day for us to be reminded by Scripture to live a fearless life. The second part of this story deals with having faith. Verses 20 through 40 talk about having faith because faith it, it moves. Faith is action-oriented. Faith doesn't just sit still and you made it today. I saw you in Kroger yesterday. You're like, you talking to me? <laughs> Good to see your face. I'm like, don't draw attention to me. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm just glad to see you. I'm glad to see you. Today, the third part of this story, it deals with this. Verses 41 through 58 deals with this, and that is fostering fortitude. Fostering fortitude, meaning this, getting strong at standing strong. Getting strong at standing strong. You know, a lot of people can talk a good game, right? A lot of people can, can talk the talk and and, and talk the smack that goes along with certain things, but when, when push comes to shove, not everybody can actually stand strong, right? Right? You know, you know the old adage, you know, they're all bark and no bite. Yeah. That, that, unfortunately, that is, that is true of, of Christians. That is true of some believers today, that we can talk a good game, we can, we can bark really loud, but when push comes to shove, we have no bite, we can't stand our ground. And we're going to learn by David and what he did and how he had some fortitude. He was good. He was strong at standing strong. And there's really just two main things I want to tell you today as we wrap up this, wrap up this series, straight out of Bethlehem, having an overcoming spirit. Two things I want to tell you, and that is this. Number one is I want to tell you this, is let God fight for you. Let God fight for you. And the second thing I want to tell you is this, is actually decide to live as an overcomer. Go ahead and make the choice. Live as an overcomer. All right, let's look at the first one. Let God fight for you. Verse 41 basically starts out with Goliath having some words to say to David. And he says, Goliath walked out toward David with a shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. And he said, am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? He cursed David by the names of his gods. I don't know about you, but when somebody curses me, it makes me kind of mad. Right? I don't know, you might be a little more patient and calm, but that just doesn't sit well with me. I have, I have to work on that. He says, he cursed David by the names of his gods, and he told him, Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the wild animals. Well, he was pretty serious. All right, this was no checker match. This was no goldfish game, card game. I mean, this was for real. This wasn't Connect Four. This was for real. This wasn't playing you know, fight with your pillow in the living room floor. I mean, this dude was about to rip David apart from limb to limb. You know what I'm saying? But here's what David said. You see, it made David mad too. 
He said, David replied, he said, You come to me with a sword, spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. He said, Today the Lord will conquer you, and guess what? I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals in the whole world, And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Verse 48, Goliath moved closer to David to attack him, and David quickly ran out to meet him. And reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out A stone, he hurled it with his sling, and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. It's a story a lot of us perhaps are familiar with and know, uh, maybe could tell it pretty well. But here's the thing about David. David's secret weapon was that he knew that the Lord was with him and that the Lord would fight this battle for him. And we have to understand that if we're going to be an overcomer, if we're going to be a warrior in the kingdom of God, and we're going to have an overcoming spirit as we live on this planet, as we should be and we should have, because Paul says we have an overwhelming victory that is ours in Christ Jesus, in spite of and despite the opposition that any of us face at any given time throughout our life, that we must let God fight for us. You have to let God fight your battles. I know many times we want to try to do this thing. We want to try to, we want to make it happen, and we want, to, we want to force the issue. But here's the thing that we can learn from David is his secret weapon was he let God fight for him. And what do I mean by that? How do we let God fight for us? What's our part in this equation? We have the supernatural part of God, but then where's the human part? That, where does God expect of us? Here's what God expects of us. Two things we learn in this story from right here. And that is this. If we're going to let God fight for us, then number one, we have to stand firm in the name of the Lord. We have to stand firm in the name of the Lord. David said, you come at me with your stuff, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he will overcome. He will help us conquer. Stand firm in the name of the Lord. Follow me on the screen here with some scriptures. One is this, there is power in the name of the Lord. There is power. Here's what uh, first, uh, excuse me, yeah, Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, And under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is power in the name of Jesus. Power to heal our lives. Power to destroy strongholds. Power to break chains of bondage. There's power to, in the name of Jesus, to set, make our our wrongs right. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of the Lord. And as saints, we have to be able to stand firm in the name of the Lord. There's power to heal our lives. Amen? Power to set our, our, our lives free by the power of the name of Jesus. Is there anybody here who needs healing today? Anybody need God to heal their life? Heal their bodies over here? Who else? You need, some, you need the supernatural power of God. Stand up where you are. I know we prayed for you earlier, but there's power in the name of Jesus. It just takes one to say, yeah, it's me. Then it see like everybody else who steps up. Come on now. That's all it takes is somebody to say, yes, Lord, I need you. Amen. There's power in the name of Jesus. Lift your hands to the Lord, and I declare right now over your life, the name of Jesus, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer, over your life right now. In the name of Jesus. If you're near these people, just, just touch them real quick. Put your hand on them right now. And I declare in the name of Jesus, every single one of you be healed. Every single one of you be made well right now in the name of Jesus. The devil is a liar. 
all the symptoms and the lying symptoms thereof fall to the ground and that you were healed and you were sealed by the blood of Jesus. And may the name of Jesus above all things right now touch your life and heal you right now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? You believe that? You receive that? My wife just had to leave a few minutes ago to take our little baby, Emma, to the doctor. She, we got to church, and she threw up twice. Once on me and, twi- and once on her. No, she threw up three times, I think. Once on me and twice on mom. I had to change shirts, and thank God we have some shirts here and all that stuff. I'd be preaching with a bare-chested whatever, and that wouldn't be pretty. Nobody would stick around for that. I'd be preaching to myself. But there's power in the name of Jesus. I don't know what it is, but every time my family gets sick, it's like the Lord puts on me for you the, the gift of healing. That's one of the non-spiritual gifts out of 1 Corinthians 9. And, and every time, I, I, I hate it when it happens because one of us has to suffer. But I still want to proclaim that over your life, that you be whole, that my Emma be well, Amen. And all of us be strong in the name of the Lord. Here's another thing. Amen. Come on. Give God glory. Give him praise God. There's salvation in his name. Not only is power in the name of Jesus, but there's salvation in the name of Jesus. Acts 4 verse 12 says this right here. There is salvation in no one else, and God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus. There is no way around it and no way to happen other than through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and God has given no other name for salvation except in Jesus Christ. So, if you're here today and you're looking to be saved from your troubles and your woes and your sins and your sorrows, and you're looking anywhere but Jesus, you'll never find it. You'll always search, but always come up short, and the only one who can ever save you and reach out and hold you and and, and bring change to your life is Jesus Christ, salvation in his name. Proverbs 18.10 tells us that there is protection in his name. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him, and they are safe. Anytime you are in trouble, anytime you, you are in a moment of panic, nine times out of ten, the words that come out of our mouth is Jesus. Whether you hadn't thought about him for the last 364 days or not, but you're thinking about him when you're in a panic and when you're in trouble and there's unbelievers who even call on the name of Jesus and they don't even know what they're talking about. But there is protection. There is refuge in the name of Jesus. He has a way. We must learn to stand firm in the name of the, in the, name of the Lord. That's how we let God fight our battles for us we proclaim his name we put his name that's above all names over our problem over our situation over our distress amen we put his name over everything because really that is his name it's above all things and everybody everywhere will bow to his name nothing has more power than the name of jesus that's why we end our prayer in the name of because we're putting the stamp, the authority on what we're asking God for, amen, and declaring. Here's a second thing on how we can let God fight for us, and that is this, stand firm in the armor of God. Stand firm in the covering of God. Scriptures that, that, one of the scriptures that we'll go to is this, is Ephesians chapter 6. Paul lays it out, all the underlined ones are the armor of God. Paul says, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. This is Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. He says, then after the battle, you will, be, you will still be standing firm and stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, putting on the shoes that are the peace that comes from the good news so you will be fully prepared. And in addition to this, also, take up your shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. You have the mind of Christ. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. And and don't forget, verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Sometimes you don't know what to pray. Pray in the Spirit. 
and God will lead you, and God will guide you, and God will help you. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers also for other believers. So the way we let God fight our battles for us is not necessarily us showing up tooting our own horn, trying to be a big shot in a small pond, a big fish in a small pond. Is the way we do this is we stand firm in the name of God. Understanding what his name is. And we also stand firm in his armor. All of these. All of these right here. Daily. Daily. It's not a physical clothing. It's a spiritual wardrobe of how God says this is how you need to go out every day and live your life right here. I preached an extended message on this. It's been several months ago that really outlined the armor of God. So we get stronger to stand stronger when we first of all let God fight our battles for us. And here's the second big point I want to tell you today, and that is this, choose to live as an overcomer. It's a choice. It's a choice. Nobody else can do it for you. Nobody else can drag you and make you do it. Nobody else can tell you to stop being a victim and become a victor in any capacity, in any way. It's a choice that you have to make in your own heart. It's a choice that you have to decide, and it's based on faith by God's word and how he views us and his perspective of us. Because if we don't choose to do it, then we will live as a defeated foe and we won't live as an overcomer in Christ Jesus. And church, the last time I read my Bible, which was this morning before I came here, I, I remember this right here, Matthew 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So that tells us that Jesus is interesting in building a church, a people who have a heart for him, who are not going to live as defeated people, but who will live victorious by faith in the word of God, in the power of his spirit on this planet. Amen? He said, I will build my church. I will make my church. I will bring my church along in such a way that they will win and hell will not prevail. That ought to tell us something, that God is really interested in his people arising and shining, especially in these last and dark days on this planet. Amen? That we're not called to sit back, we're not called to sit down, we're not called to sit out, and we're not called to sit silent. We're called to stand up and speak up and show up for the kingdom of God. If we don't do it, who else will? There is no plan B. There's only a plan A with God, and that is Christ Jesus being gloriously visible and expressible in and through the church. And the church is not about an institution and a place we go to. The church, my friends, is you and me. It's us, God's people, who are assembled together in this hour. Amen? We're, we're the church. Thank God for the church. So live as an overcomer. And here's what I want to finish with on this right here. is verse 50. It says, So David triumphed, overcame over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. He had no sword. He overcame. David prevailed over the giant. He was an overcomer. And here's three things that, that we see in the rest of this story, I'll go through quickly, and that is this. Three things that David, an overcomer, he left in his wake. Three things he left in his wake, in his path. That was this. He left a statement, he left a reminder, and he left a legacy. Overcomers leave a statement. Overcomers leave a reminder, and overcomers leave a legacy. What do I mean by that? Verse 51, David left a statement. He said, then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. David made a statement. So what we don't know right here 
if we were to stop right here, but if you will continue reading the rest of 1 Samuel and go all the way through 2 Samuel later on in David's king, excuse me, kingship, you see that David and the, and, the, and, uh, and the Israelites later face again the Philistines, and there are four more giants from the same place that Goliath is from, a place called Gath. It's the land of giants. It says they later face four more giants from Gath, and they kill them. What is David doing right here when he walks over to David's body, excuse me, Goliath's body, and he takes his own sword out, and he cuts his head off, and he holds it up. Remember, nine feet tall. The dude's massive. The dude is huge. He's making a statement. He's saying, here, I want you to know, any other giants in the land, as I hold up this champion's head, I want to make a statement to you, and I want you to know something, that if you come after God's people again, this head will be your head. Thank you. We need to make a statement with our life that we don't need to be afraid to face the enemy because we can face him having faith knowing that Jesus has already faced him and has already overcome and overtaken him. It says, take heart, have peace, and joy because I have already overcome the world. Right? So we, you and I need to make a statement with our life that we will not be afraid to face the enemies that oppose us because Jesus has already faced them in one. Here's another thing David left a reminder, verse 54. This one is in parentheses. Verse 54. It said, David took the Philistine's head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. David left a reminder, and overcomers, we leave a reminder. What is the reminder? The first reminder is the head. It said he took Goliath's head to Jerusalem. The head he took to the public viewing. He put it in public view for the entire city to see. And it served as a reminder to the public. Our king prevailed, and our king will continue to prevail. So every time they would walk around and they would see that giant's head there in Jerusalem, they would have this reminder that, hey, our king already overcame once, and our king will not leave us. He will overcome again. But then he took the armor. said he took the armor to his own tent. Now, if you remember in the beginning of the story, it said his armor was pretty heavy. The, just the, the body armor itself weighed 125 pounds. Not to count his, also his, his uh, head armor as well as his leg armor in addition to his spear and the spearhead. The spearhead weighed 15 pounds. So can you imagine a lifeless dead body laying on the ground weighing, I don't know how much a nine-foot person would weigh. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But pretty heavy. And he's a champion, so I'm, he's in good shape. Also, with over 125 pounds of armor on him, David himself had to roll him over to take that armor off. There was this struggle in David's own physical might to just get the armor himself. But he took the armor to his own tent. That was for private. That was for his private moments. When David was doubting, when David was wondering, am I ever going to be king? What they say I am, I was anointed to be king, I'm supposed to be this, and I don't, I don't know if I've got it in me or not. The, the current king's against me, everybody opposes me, everybody's against me, and I wonder, I'm doubting myself, do I really have what it takes, or should I just stick to the outside skirts of town on the pasture and just shepherd some sheep? I don't know. But in your own private moments, when nobody else is around, that's when real life is going on up here. And every time David would doubt, he would look over and he'd see the giant's armor, and it would serve as a reminder. 
God helped me once, and I know God will help me again. Mark Batterson, the writer calls the, and a pastor, calls these things life symbols. You guys got just a few more minutes. I didn't get this thing to 11.30, okay? So if you're looking at your watches, I'm just now about to crank in to finishing, okay? Are you cool? If you need to leave, by all means, don't let me see you leave, but leave, okay? Mark Batterson calls these things life symbols, physical objects that display and remind us of spiritual milestones. He says, he's described it this way. He said, they're reminders from the past that give meaning to the present and build a holy confidence for the future. Let me say that again. Life symbols. The physical objects remind us of spiritual milestones. They remind us, they rem, they're reminders from the past that give meaning to the present, and they build within us a holy confidence for the future. I brought a couple of, of um, life symbols with me today. This is one that I got in uh, 1991. My dad got this for me right after I became saved, right after I turned to the Lord. And he gave this to me. It was, it's called a survival kit for new Christians. I, I, I've kept it all these years somehow. The Holy Spirit preserved it, or my mom was good at it and didn't throw it away. I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, it, it was basically one of those things that helped build some foundational principles into your life as a new Christian. We were new to church and all that, and my dad got that for me. And, I've, and I remember it taught me to memorize Scripture, taught me how to pray, taught me how to read God's Word and begin to understand it. That was a, that's a life symbol. I look back on that over 23, 24 years ago. And it, it brings back memories of, of that. I can see pictures and images in my mind right now of that time frame in my life and how I was just trying to understand and discover God and walk in His ways. And this was one of those big things that, that helped me out at that time. A life symbol. I brought another life symbol. It was, this was a little test I did uh, a few years after I had gotten saved, about, about five, six years later. It's called a spiritual gifts inventory test. Our life group did this uh, back in the last winter, and um, they have different versions of these, but basically you, t you answer about 100 questions, and then you add your totals up, and it kind of tells you what your strong suits are uh, spiritually, spiritual gifts. And, and I remember doing this in 1997. Let's see. I was trying to find the answers here. There it is. And it said at 97, as I was in college and trying to figure out life and what laid ahead of me, the number one spiritual gift was being a pastor or a shepherd. I mean, I knew the Lord had put a call in my life, but you know how it is in those early days. And even, even when you go through some, mm -hmm, it makes you wonder, are you really cut out for the job Then administration, organization was second, exhortation was third, teaching was fourth, and different goes on down the list. But that's a life symbol. I, I've held on to that, and I've taken a few of these since then. And, um, but it just reminded me of God showing himself, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you where I want you to be. Amen. I brought another life symbol. This is my marriage license. So if anybody ever wondered, is he really married or are they just living together? And having kids, and <laughs> it's for real. My father-in-law actually married us. It's his signature on there, it's, and it, it was all stamped and approved, so it's all good. Gosh, I was 22 when I got married. Look at that. No, well, bless you. I'll, I'll buy you lunch sometime. She said, I still look 22. Sometimes I feel like I act like I'm 22, and I'm not. We did, we, in May, we celebrated 17 years, going on 18 now, but as a life symbol, I keep this locked up in a fireproof safe. But anyway, 17 years, a lot of history there. It's a life symbol, reminds me of... The first time we went out on the date, and she said yes, and she's not even here for me to even talk good about this today. So, 
life symbols. What are some of your life symbols? Things that remind, reminders from the past that, that give you some perspective about today and, and build some holy confidence. This, this tells me, you know I, know, I know we might have opposition and we might have doubts, but, you know, it just it builds some holy confidence inside of us that, that we're going to go forward. We're going to make it. Here's another life symbol I brought. This was my last Wednesday as a youth pastor in Memphis. It's a picture of our youth group. And uh, I didn't know they were doing all this, but they did it and signed it all and all this stuff. And oftentimes I'll look at these signatures and look at these faces. And and whenever, I, you know, going through the dark valleys of, of ministry sometimes, uh, did I ever really make any difference in anybody's life? And I look back and I remember the stories of a lot of these kids. And now some of them, not these kids, are some of them, a lot of them are married and having kids and making me feel real old now. But it's a life symbol. God, God trusted me to do that for a period of time in my life and look back and that was just a, a building, building ground of, of life and ministry. And oh, there's another one here real quick, another one. This was a life symbol of my ordination, my second ordination. Actually, I got, uh, Max, I got ordained twice. I got ordained the first time in 1998 when, when the church hired me full-time and acknowledged my ministry gift to serve him full-time. And then this is my second one where my senior pastor at the time uh, ordained me for basically ministry from here on out. And uh, knowing at that time, uh, well, not quite at that time, but uh, the, in that year of 2004, that I would be moving to Jackson and becoming a pastor here. And um, but uh, it's just uh, one of those things that a life symbol, you know, reminds you of what God has done and what He's actually what He's done. You know, really, we're all ordained. We're not ordained necessarily to be a pastor, but we're ordained to serve God. You're ordained. You need to remember who you are. You need to remember who you are. And then I got one more to be on the screen here. That's my life symbols of my kiddos. That's their little uh, plaques. They're at the hospital. They're on the third floor, that floor of Jackson General. And thanks to grandparents, they bought plaques, one for each of our kids, Eden, Callie, and Emma. Actually got it right this time. And, uh, and, um, uh, Anytime I go to the hospital to visit some of you or, or some of your family members, oftentimes I'll go back to floor three and, and I'll just go and look at those plaques. And I'll think, man, it's a long ways from 2002 when the doctor said you have less than 25% chance of ever having children, whether the natural way or the scientific way of medicine. And I look now at those plaques and I thought, boy, the devil is a liar. I, never in my life would I think I'd ever have three kids. You know, I thought, one, I'm cool. One, two, all right. Three? <laughs> Lord, help me. I got three girls. <laughs> Go ahead. Bless me. I need it. I need all the help I can get. But these life symbols, I want to encourage you today to, to leave a reminder. David left a reminder for the people and for himself. And you need to, you need to pull out your reminders in your life. I, I recently was reading about that, and it got me to thinking about, about life symbols. So I started pulling all this stuff out, my li and Haley's like, what are you doing with all this stuff? And I, and I said, these are what Mark Batterson calls life symbols. He goes, I like that, life symbols. It reminds us of how faithful God has been in the past. And it builds within us a holy confidence for our future that it could have been dark then, but darkness only lingers for a night, but joy comes in the morning that God builds his holy confidence in us for what lies ahead. Amen? Life symbols. And then lastly, lastly, an overcomer leaves a legacy. David left a legacy. Verse 58, after all this happened, he defeated the giant. He was summoned to the palace. And King Saul said, 
tell me about your father, young man. And David replied, his name is Jesse, and we're straight out of Bethlehem. He said, his name is Jesse, and we're straight out of Bethlehem. We live in Bethlehem. We're straight out of Bethlehem. A legacy. Let me encourage you in this right here. Whatever you are involved in in this current moment in life, go ahead and do yourself a favor and decide that you will leave your family a godly legacy. I know you might have your troubles and you might have your trip-ups and you might have your hang-ups, but go ahead and make it down and settle it in the city of your soul that as for you and your family, you will serve the Lord. That when you go six feet under and everybody's crying around your grave, may it be able to be said about you, all the stuff he did is not that important or all the stuff she did was not that important. It was all about the person that they became. Go ahead, do yourself a favor and decide today that you will live and leave a legacy for your family. You have all the advantage that you need in Jesus Christ. I know some people are going to be against you, your boss don't like you, your neighbor thinks you're ugly, and all this other stuff. And your peers and your other friends at school think, well, they ain't got it going on like I do. Who cares? You need to be who God has called you to be, and you need to be firm in who he's called you to be, and you don't need to make no apologies about who you are in Christ because God did not make a mistake when he allowed you to be born on this planet. You need to be bold as a lion and courageous, and you need to be everything that Jesus has called you to be. And you need to go ahead and decide whether you're 12 or whether you're 99 is you will leave a legacy for your family. You see, the thing about legacies is this, is they honor those who came before us and they're mindful of those who come after us. You see, David is in the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And where was Jesus born? He was straight out of Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. And where is David straight out of? Bethlehem. And whose genealogy is David in? Jesus's. He's in Jesus Christ's genealogy. You see, David left a legacy that day, and he, he worked on it. He honored those who came before him, his dad, but he was also mindful that there's going to be some people that's going to come out of my loins. It's going to come from my line. And I don't know what life's going to be like, but I know as for me and right now, I'm going to go and make it settled that I'm going to be a king who will honor the Lord. And I don't know, you know, David, he made mistakes. He committed adultery and murder and all this stuff, but it did not stop the fact because David repented and he had a heart after the Lord that David kept the lineage open for the Savior to come. You don't know who's coming after you, but a legacy, a person of legacy, an overcomer, they're mindful of those who are coming after them. They don't mean this. You don't just live your life for you and you alone today. I know we got a lot of selfish people in our world, and we got a lot of selfish people in churches, but here's the, re here's the reality, friends, is that we're not called to just live for us and us alone. We're called to be connected to God, and we're called to be connected to other people. And when we are in that harmony with God and people, then, friends, we are in the right place doing the right thing with our right purpose in our time frame. Amen? Can you stand to your feet? An overcomer has got to have fortitude. You've got to be able to stand. I don't mean just now, but you've got to be able to stand when it comes against you. Amen? Mm. I just want to pray over you today as we conclude. If you want to acknowledge that you know and believe God has called you to live as an overcomer, lift your hands to the Lord. Just lift your hands to the Lord. I know you might not have got it right last week. You might have not got it right yesterday. But you're here today and you acknowledge, I know my God has called me to be an overcomer. Hallelujah. Father, I lift up your name, the name of Jesus above all names. 
And today, over this house and over these people, your people, I pray that your spirit would truly rise up on the inside of us today. And you would change our mentality and shift our focus and align our perspective with who we are in you. And you would help us to be all that you've called us to be. That, Lord, you, have, you see us as overcomers. Lord, we all face different battles and we all have different oppositions at different times. But nonetheless, if your spirit is in us, then we have an inner unconquerableness that's working on the inside of us. And so I pray for the reality of victory to rise up on the inside of your people today and that you would help us. I pray that you would strengthen those who are weak. I pray that you would set free those who are in bondage. I pray you would heal those who are sick. And Lord, all of our struggles, the different things we, we deal with, the different habits that we have formed that continue to plague us and trip us up, today I pray that you would truly give us the courage to leave all that stuff behind and press on towards the high calling that's in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us. Help us, God, to see the vision that you have for our life. One of the greatest cures for sin is having a God-sized vision for our life. So right now I pray and ask this week, even right now, sow that seed in our spirit. Give us a God-sized vision for our life because we won't sin against the God that we're concentrating on serving with our life. Let us be that kind of people. Let us be that kind of people that we're not captivated by the clutter that the world tries to bring and offer our lives, but may we be captivated by the King of Kings. May we be captivated by Jesus Christ, our true and soon coming King. You, have overca you overcame then, and you will help us overcome now. And I thank you, Father, for an overcoming spirit that lives inside of us. We love you, and I thank you, God, for what you're doing in each of our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen? Amen. Let me pronounce a blessing over your life this day as you get ready to go. It's found in Numbers chapter 6. We put our benediction up there. Don't forget, you've got your prayer cards, and you've got other things that you can connect with in the church at the connect table. Don't forget those things. Here it is. The Lord bless you by constantly bringing good into your life. The Lord keep you so that the care and sacrificial love of Christ poured out on the cross should guard all that is sacred and precious about you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you by having his glory always shine in your life. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you by always letting you know that he is fully present in your life and he is self-giving to you. And the Lord give you peace, and a peace that is unthreatened and undisturbed. And may all of you, may all of you, may your soul feel its worth in the significance of Christ Jesus that as you go today. If you need personal prayer of any kind, you may come forward and we'll see you later this week. Bless you. My grandson carried his family to the ball game because uh, his daughter was playing in the band. And the baby slipped through the bleachers and fell. And he's not quite two years old. But he fell on something and it cut his head real bad. But you know what? They called me when they got home. I said, whoa, we're going to pray right now. And I just went to praying. And she said that baby slept all night long and said he had not had any effect from it except where they put the stitches, not the stitches, but the staples in his little head. But I said, God, this child right here, he's taught me to every morning whenever I pray, I plead the blood of Jesus over my children and grandchildren, 
that blood is sufficient. Glory to God. That's right. Amen. Thank you. Go in the name of the Lord.